Welcome to the Kelowna Real Estate Podcast with your host, award-winning realtor, Matt Glenn, and top producing mortgage broker, Taylor Atkinson. Professionals in the industry, enthusiastic entrepreneurs, and successful investors. When it comes to real estate, we're all in. Okay, guys, today we interviewed Jason Henneberry. I won't even discuss all the businesses, CEO, COO, if you're a mortgage worker, chances are you're using like at least three of his businesses. 100%. Yeah. Lender Spotlight's a big one. As an agent, we get at least three emails every year. <laughs> yeah. He's a huge player in the real estate game, but in just a really good, beneficial way for everyone. Really abundant style mindset, good educator. And yeah, just loved having him on. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Reach out to him. Yeah. He loves talking about this stuff and helping other people. So good resource. Yes, sir. Okay. See ya. Okay, welcome to the show, Jason Henneberry. Thanks for having me, guys. You know, it's funny. I actually wrote a list on my iPhone in my notes section when Matt and I were brainstorming this in January, almost a year ago. And your name was one of the names that was on the list that I thought, you know, if we could get some guests like this, I'd be pretty happy. So here we are. I don't know if I'm more flattered that you waited to talk to me until you got traction or if I was maybe not your first choice. I don't know. But uh, congrats on hitting a year. I think you guys are coming up on that. So it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot. You guys are pretty close right now. Kind of uh, serendipitously. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah, it's island. You're in my neck of the woods. I like to refer to this area as the Couch and Valley and less so Duncan, but we're here. <laughs> Yeah, I need to learn to call it the Couch and Valley too. Are, yeah, when you're local, you learn to call it the Couch and Valley. It sounds so much nicer. Yeah, it is a beautiful spot. It is gorgeous, right? Yeah. It's quite nice. Yeah. And speaking about different markets, like obviously this is the Colonial Real Estate Podcast, but you know we speak in different markets throughout BC and Canada, and the island's a hot topic for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, one of the ways we love to let our guests connect with the listener is just walk us through your perfect Friday. What do you do that's productive and gives you energy and leads you into the weekend? Yeah. I mean, I don't think I've ever had a perfect Friday. I kind of have an idea of what I'd like to achieve, but things always pop up. But I schedule my week, actually. I have my craziest days are Tuesdays and Thursdays. I call them my ops days, like my operations days. All my my teams for the different businesses, I have like team meetings. They update me on what's going on. And you know, and then we figure out what we need to do for the next week, that kind of stuff. So I'm like back to back on those two days. Crazy. Anybody who needs to get into my calendar comes in on those days. And then I try to keep Fridays open just for like critical thinking. But I also try to keep Mondays and Wednesdays fairly open too. So I kind of go like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, as much time as I can take for myself. So I can think about the business or work on projects that I need to or just like blow off the afternoon, go for a run, whatever I need to be like healthy mentally and physically and on top of my game. That's what those days are for. But inevitably, like, you know, they end up getting filled up from time to time. So I don't think I've ever had a Friday where I didn't take a call from someone else. So it doesn't always work out the way you want. Well, hey, maybe this Friday is the first one to do that. No, no, it's not. It's not. <laughs> I already have two people that slid into the calendar just yesterday, actually. Yeah, yeah. we're doing a back-to-back long weekend, so I can't imagine that it's easy. We do. We do have a long weekend coming up. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to try to take the family away for a couple of days. So. Nice. Okay. Somewhere on the island or where are you guys thinking? We're going up to Whistler. We're a skiing family. So we ski up at Mount Washington on the island up by Courtney Comox. And on Thanksgiving weekend in Whistler, they call it the turkey sale. So everything's like 50, 60% off. It's all last year's gear. So we call it Thanks Christmas. So we go spend two days with the kids and we kind of let them go nuts. And, you know, it's a good deal. You get a weekend away and for the price that you would normally pay for full price gear. 
So it's good. Cool. That's yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. We love snowboarding as well. Our kid's pretty young for it, but we did just get a property under contract at Big White. So Sweet. we should be, by the time this airs, we should be closed on it. And are you ski in, ski out, or how's that working out? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty yeah. ski in, ski out. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it should be a cool spot. In offer process? Like you're just... Yeah, we've got an accepted offer. Inspection is happening tomorrow, I think. And I haven't told Matt either. So yeah, you're yeah. probably about it. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. So That's much awesome. fun. Yeah. It's in Snow Pines. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So I'm afraid to ask this question because maybe you don't even know the answer, but how many businesses have <laughs> you started? Do you currently run? Like you are a master entrepreneur. I've started a few. A lot of things you've never heard of, or maybe saw me talk about for a minute. They didn't land right. They didn't resonate or didn't work out for whatever reason. So there's been a few things like that along the way. Currently though, I've got like three or four things. So I've got Tango Financial. That's our brokerage. We have about 400 agents there, 40, 50 mortgage teams. You know, that's a pretty mature business. It's not just mine. I have partners like my main partner there is Dean Larson. You guys know him. He's in your neck of the woods. And then Ryan Wiley and I have the VIP club together, which is a really happy business, super fun because, you know, you're doing contests, giveaways and newsletters and people like it and it works really well for people. We do that in the mortgage side, but we actually just open up on the real estate side too. So we do that for realtors now, which is awesome. And then Strategy Hub and Strategy Hub sort of is a catch-all for all the other stuff I do. Basically, it's a coaching group and we have, you know, 50, 60 mortgage and real estate professionals in there. And we just help them with like business strategy stuff, how to work with clients. Like we've got some really cool financial strategies in there for clients. Like one of them is like, if you're talking to a real estate investor, like how to use the cash flows from the rental property portfolio to make the principal residence more tax efficient and actually pay off the principal residence faster. And then we can use that strategy to buy negative cash flow properties, negative cash flow investments so that the investor is not out of pocket on the negative cash flow. So there's just like some cool stuff that we do. So the brokers that are in there tend to be, they've got more of a planning mindset. And so we play around with different strategies and stuff. That's why we call it Strategy Hub. So Yeah. Episode 12, we had Robinson Smith on speaking yeah. about Smith Maneuver for that. How do you come up with these ideas? Like obviously Tango is massive, really amazing company. We were kind of under your guys's umbrella for a while. Um, yeah. It's our brokerage and yeah, had only positive things to say, but can you walk through like entrepreneurs that are currently listening to this? How do you start a business? How do you know when it's successful? How do you know when to hire people? How do you yeah. know when it failed and just pull the plug on it? Well, you know, when it fails, <laughs> <laughs> you're feeling that one. There's a lot to unpack in that question. In our space, you know, on the mortgage and real estate space, I grew up as a mortgage agent, like solo agent and built a team, then a brokerage. And that kind of grew but along the way, the growth was always because we could do more for either our team or our clients in the end. That was the progression on the mortgage side. And it was always about, you know, more access to products or better pricing or being able to deliver a better experience for our clients and things like that. And those things become easier when you have more capital, more resources, more flow, more people to spread the load across. And so I've always sort of been wired on the mortgage side for building teams built my first brokerage and then realized that at that time, like this is going back to 2015-ish or so, I realized that like, you know, you needed to be really big. Like once you get to a certain size, then you realize you're really small actually. And you start having different conversations with partners and all this kind of stuff. And so then you realize that, man, okay, I've made the leap to this level. 
you know, I've just kind of opened a can of worms. If I want to do this properly, I got to be so much bigger. And so it's just like one thing led to the next. And so it's kind of almost out of necessity, to be honest. It was sort of one foot in front of the other. No master plan, not really. Along the way, you kind of come up with little plans, but just fortunate that we ended up where we are. So Yeah, I use a lot of your products, like Blender Spotlight, obviously, is a super resourceful tool. Yeah, part of the VIP club. And yeah, yeah. Like- Ryan just lives up the street from me, so I run into him from time to time. And, and sorry about that. Is that okay <laughs> for you? No, I'm just kidding. yeah. Ryan is an awesome dude. I love Ryan. Yeah, yeah. You guys would be a fun business to be part of. It's a fun business. We've built some stuff along the way too. So you get into the failures now. Some of the stuff that I did along the way, I think the reason that some of the projects failed it was because I made them too complex. I tried to do too much. So you know, along the way, I tried to build. A, end-to-end underwriting platform. And you might remember, Taylor, it was called Doc Assist at the time. You could get on-demand admin support, like any mortgage agent at any brokerage, and you could get a full underwriter to support your team. And it was sort of plug and play. And it was so complex to do that we just couldn't achieve scale. So we had to face facts after a while that that was not going to be a profitable business long-term. Put a lot of energy into that for a couple of years. I did a CRM system at one point launched that and I thought everybody would love that. But user adoption was hard because it was too complicated. I really beefed it up. I built a, what I think is a really great underwriting system. In fact, my personal mortgage team today still uses it, but it was too complicated. I couldn't get people to kind of buy into it. And it was hard to provide training and do all the things that we needed to do around it and still deliver it at a price point that people would actually buy it. So what I love about the VIP clubs is getting back to being a happy business is it's like, it's a monthly newsletter with contests and giveaways and prizes and like everybody loves it. So to answer your original question, which is like, how do you know when to quit? How do you know when to move forward and stuff like that? Like for me, I look for ways that I can add a lot of value with the least amount of inputs. Like where can I have the most impact without blowing my brains out? Really? You learn that the hard way. Yeah. 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 I'm starting to learn it's return on energy, not investment. Like if I finish the day and I'm energized and I'm excited and I want to keep going, yeah. that's a good day to me. You know, if you're making money, but you're exhausted by the end of the day, it's not sustainable. Do what you love, do what fires you up, drop yeah. the rest. Totally. Long-term definitely that would be a common issue for sure. Yeah. 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 You're obviously seeing a lot of, well, you probably don't see the ins and outs of it so much. You're at a higher level, but you seen like certain areas of BC growing? Like where are your most productive mortgage teams based, I guess? Like obviously that's a good question. The island, Kelowna, but are there any markets that we're kind of not aware of that you think are interesting? Well, I mean, I'm personally quite attuned to what's happening on Vancouver Island. And so it feels like there's a lot of people coming this way. And it probably feels like that in Kelowna, the interior. So like affordability is obviously a factor in that. And so I think if you live in a nice location and it's reasonably affordable, I think that the trend, we're seeing it today, but I think long-term we're going to continue to see it is people will continue to leave the cities and leave the more expensive areas for the lifestyle. And so you guys benefiting from that, we're benefiting from that on the island. There's a ton of places, even on the island, smaller locales that we're seeing pop. I mean, just not your first choice, right? But as more and more people go to those places, then they build little cute communities. So I'm sure that's happening all over the interior as well in different parts of BC. So I would look at those smaller communities and bet you they're going to pop big time in the next five, 10 years. Yeah, there's probably huge value there. Right? Yeah. yeah. You know, we always talk about Kelowna being the pressure release valve for Vancouver. You guys <laughs> always get that too. But then you think about all the smaller communities around that pressure release from us. 
Yes. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, for sure. Like there's a lot of little communities on the island that are popping right now. And that's pressure release from, say, Victoria or Nanaimo yeah. or Courtney Comox, right? Those are the three big centers. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Yeah. We've spent quite a bit of time on this in our last few episodes with guests, so we don't have to dive into it too much. But from a regulation standpoint, do you see the government doing anything to help affordability in the future in terms of like longer amortizations or anything in the mortgage industry, you know, is, Good question. <laughs> I don't think we're seeing a lot, right? None of us are feeling that there's a ton of innovation in that space right now. If anything, it still kind of feels like it's tight. Yeah, very much. There's some Hail Mary moves like, oh, we're going to remove the GST and like new construction or these are positive moves. Like it's great, but the amount of time it takes for changes like that to propagate through the system it's not going to be enough to solve some of the real problems that we have. I think our biggest affordability issue, you can look at lender products and you could look at policy and you can look at all that kind of stuff. But our biggest issue around affordability is simply supply. No, we have not done really anything from a material perspective to change that. And then that changing supply issue is like a multi-decade thing. So we need to be doing it now and we're not really doing it. So I think that that problem is going to be even worse five years from now, 10 years from now. Yeah, I think the stat was in 10 years, we're short, like 300 to 600,000 houses. NHC predicts like in 10 years, the growth of real estate, 79%. Like it's- I saw something the other day and I can't remember the number, but it's like those stats. And it was, this is how many houses we need to build every year. Yeah. And then they looked historically and it was a meme and it was like, and Canada has never produced more than like this many. And that number was half of the actual need. And it was yeah. like, we don't have the infrastructure, even if we said we wanted to to do it. Like we just, we'd never produce more than that. So yeah, we got a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that was your post, Matt. I can't remember, but I saw someone did it. Someone did it like two I days ago. Yeah. It's kind of, now we're also in a high building cost, high interest rate environment where more projects are being shelved and brought to market. It's uh, yeah. expecting a record just to keep up. Yeah, there's so many things. There's so many layers to it. How many people we're letting in, and I'm a big proponent of that because we need to, you know, replace the labor force and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of positives to that conversation, but if we don't effectively deal with the housing supply issues, then we're not doing ourselves any favor. So, yeah, what trait do you think is the most necessary for, I guess, an entrepreneur or mortgage broker, real estate agent? to be successful, like in today's market, in any market, but obviously you do a lot of coaching. Yeah. What's kind of the one thing that you see consistently people are oh, doing? I love that you asked me that question. I'm actually, I've been thinking about that one because I want to do a post about it. Like I want to talk about this particular thing. And this wasn't in your pre-interview questions. No, no, There's a curveball, but it's super timely. Jason, so we had the guy pitched us a book called How to Ask Good Questions. Taylor, I think. Good question. Okay, well, this is a good question. It's a good question because I actually have an answer to it. Okay, so I'm like everybody else. I float around on TikTok and watching self-help stuff all the time. Like I'm trying to, you know, I don't drink alcohol and I try to stay active every day and I try to, you know, if I don't watch my food intake, I blow up like a balloon. So it's like, you know, I'm that stage of life. So I think about these things quite a bit. And so there's this theme out there on the internet. It's like, just work hard. It'll work out. Like, you know, and there's a thousand variations on that, but people talk about like grit and determination and hard work. And those are the factors for success. I look at everything I've done and just really had to look at this for myself because I just had an event in my work life that forced me to reevaluate a couple things. And then out of that process, I came up with 
like really cool idea for one of my businesses. This is just last week. And so that's why I'm thinking about it. Realize in that moment that it's pressure. It's like back yourself into a corner. Human ingenuity is the secret ingredient. And human ingenuity comes out when you're under stress or pressure and you feel like you've got no other option. So for me, like pretty much every business I've ever built has always like the creative, innovative parts of it came from being under pressure, like Lender Spotlight you talked about earlier, right? So Lender Spotlight, we've sold it. It's not mine anymore, but you know, we had an exit there and that was a great thing. But most of the industry uses Lender Spotlight. It's one of, I would say probably like, I know I launched it, so it's a little bit like tap myself on the shoulder, but it's probably like one of the most widely used tech pieces in the industry. The reason we built Lender Spotlight was because of the regulatory changes, like the B20 guidelines on mortgages back in 2016. And at that time, that was before I even formed Tango, I had a brokerage that we were doing online rate advertising. And I had a whole process where we would ask our clients three questions initial questions on a call. And from the answers of those three questions, we could accurately quote a rate and deliver on that rate with like a 95% accuracy, you know, down the line after a whole application process. And so that's how we won clients. And then when the B20 guidelines changed, my entire team, like I was spending multiple, multiple five figures a month on marketing, feeding tens of thousands of leads into my team every year. And my entire team, we lost the ability to quote a rate in a heartbeat. And I had a whole salaried model and staff and underwriters, and my business came to a grinding halt. And so Lender Spotlight was the answer to those policy changes. And so I turned everything off, head down, and I built a spreadsheet. You guys remember, right? It was like the complexity on mortgage products just went up like a hundredfold. And so it was impossible to understand. So we built a little spreadsheet in a grid that you could plug in the answers to those three to five questions and it would give you the rate quote. And I gave that spreadsheet to my team and we turned all the lead flow back on and it saved the day. But what happened out of that was my team said, we don't know how we did our job like without this tool, even like a month ago. And so then we put some effort, energy behind it and we launched it as a whole tool and we put it online and all that. And then within 30 days, we had a thousand users in the industry, which doesn't happen in the mortgage industry. You just don't get that kind of tech adoption. And so that's a really good example of like, I was backed into a corner. I had financial stress. I had people I was responsible for. I had no choice but to come up with a solution. And that's what happened. So that's like in point to that. And I think all the great entrepreneurs, like ones we look up to, one point or another, all the like the best innovation on the planet came from that pressure at some level. They got scrappy and they got creative and they solved it and that created whatever it is that they have. So, right. Yeah. Instead of just turning away and saying, this is a problem, you look at it as an opportunity and, and come up with a solution. Fight for your life. I'm talking the kind of stress that's like, yeah. So you guys have probably been there. You've had moments, you know, like Taylor, you're buying a ski chalet. So you're not there right now, but you've been there. You've been like, what am I going to do? It's stressful. It, yeah, it's impossible to finance. So I got to leverage everything oh, else. There you go. You might come up with like a cool, well, like, you yeah, know, LA financing right. program. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's what I'm talking about. Any entrepreneur has been there. They've been up against the wall and it's in that moment that you figure it out. And it's the figuring it out that is the success. And then the rest of it, the grit, the determination, the hard work, you need that stuff for sure. I know that's like fuel in the car. The car itself, the engine is the ingenuity. Yeah. Well, I think another really key component and yourself and Ryan and Scott and a lot of these guys also have this is you can come up with that solution, but if you don't share it and test it with everyone else, you're such an abundant style person where you come up with an amazing product and then you put it out to everyone else. Like you have a thousand users in 30 days. 
that's like quality control, right? They're going to test it, come back, and you're going to make it better. Oh, it was so painful. It was so painful. The first thousand users, they let us have it. The rates weren't accurate. The filters didn't work. Like, yeah. And then a lot of new features that we brought were because we listened and we fixed it and it took a while and we lost some users, but then we gained a lot more. But that's the thing, right? If you didn't do that and you wanted to be selfish and go, hey, I'm going to own this part of the market and just keep this tool to myself, you wouldn't have fixed those issues so quickly, right? And had a successful team. I'm a big believer in open it up. I'm not talking about give it away. Like, you know, some things cost money. Some things don't. Some things you can give away. Other things you have to have an economic model that makes sense. Like, you know, it's not your responsibility to be benevolent to the point that it like, it hurts you financially and your family and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of stuff I do actually, I charge for because there's a lot of thought that goes into infrastructure to making it happen. But you're absolutely right. Like, I could have held on to Lender Spotlight. I was building a hall. Like I could have had a market leading advantage for a year or two while someone else figured it out. But so much more came out of that. Like open it up, give it away, let people use it. And then the sharing that happens. And then there's all kinds of things that came from that that would just never have been possible if I wasn't willing to like at least share at some level. So ultimately we ended up charging for the advanced features of Lender Spotlight. And you know that. Initially, we opened up, we gave it away for free. We were just like, take it, use it, let us know what you want, higher level features. We didn't start charging for like six months, but we knew exactly what to charge for because our membership or our user base told us because when we gave it to them, they had all that feedback. And whenever we fixed something, we said, hey, we're fixing that for you. That's actually one of our features that we intend on including in the pro level, but you can have it today for free. And we just kept doing that. We warmed people up to, at some point, we're gonna start charging you for this. And then when we did, nobody quit was great so yeah yeah i've fallen for that trick a couple times with you yeah i got it (laughs) it's kind of my way of being (laughs) i hope you don't feel like i'm charging you for stuff that doesn't work though no no absolutely not well yeah you're the head of so many of these ventures again this is not a question that we vetted you on but what makes a good leader if somebody's looking to join a team like if if a mortgage agent wants to join mortgage pal under tango yeah want to work with you any other capacity yeah what's the best trait for a leader man it's funny one of the prep questions that you did ask me about reference jim collins good to great and i don't know if you guys have ever read that book i referenced it in the context of something completely different but in that same book in good to great he talks about different levels of leadership and won't do it justice. So I won't get into it, but there's four or five levels of leadership. And then this one level of leadership that very few people have, it's a very like humble, I don't need to be the center. I don't need to be the guy that built it or the center of attention. It's like giving your team the credit and supporting them in the way that they can thrive and they can become successful. I want to call it level five leadership, but I'm honestly, I'm drawing a blank on what he actually calls that. It could be level four leadership. I don't know. There might only be four levels, but whatever. (laughs) It's in there. There's something in there. Someone said something good about something, but you get the point, right? And so someone who can really help guide the team, but is okay to allow them to thrive. And I think that that's something I had to learn really early on. I'm not perfect at it by any means, but when I first like entered the mortgage space, it's going back like 20 years and I hired my first assistant or, you know, and I tried to build a team. I really failed at that because I was trying to make it look like that person didn't even exist to my clients and my referral sources. I was really young in my career. And so I felt that like I needed to be the guy, you know, at every step of the way. And all that did was it caused a lot of friction and it made the people that I hired not love being around. And you know what I mean? And so 
but something clicked along the way where I was like, you know what, I don't need to be the gap. I just need it to work. And I need it to work for me, but I also need to work for everybody that's using it or the stakeholders, right? The people. So I think when you make that perspective shift and then you find ways to support people and you can make them the hero, then you have a much greater odds of success. Plus the people that you're working with, they just appreciate, you know, it's a better environment for everybody. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure everybody that I work closely with will tell you I'm nowhere near level five, but that's okay. Whatever. I'm going to own it today. Most humble guy. <laughs> level four. But I thought we like her too. Yeah. Well, we, there is no level five, right? You're making that as we go. I'm making that up. Yeah. Yeah. Jim Collins took it to four. I'm taking it. <laughs> level five now. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually really good advice, right? At this time of the market where there's going to be like a lot of agents and mortgage brokers struggling. And like, I know it's been called a great purge coming on right now. And yeah, I think this is good advice. Yeah, are you seeing that a lot on your side of the balance sheet there? Yes, I've seen a little bit of it, but I've been hearing more and more rumbling about it because yeah. sales are kind of getting more and more scarce here. And yeah, it's kind of good to get back to the principles, right? And make sure you... Yeah. So, okay. So if you could pinpoint like, what's the biggest... I'm going to throw a question back at you guys. Yeah, give it to you. Mortgage industry. Awesome. We got Matt and Taylor. Gentlemen. Okay. What's the biggest challenge or what's the top two challenges? Like, what are the things that you guys think we need to overcome as like separate industries or mutual industries? Like, what's the thing that's going to make a difference and help people get through this period of time, either on the consumer side or in the industry? Do you mean in terms of the market? I mean, I'm just looking for my next business idea. So tell me where the gap is. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, no. Like, what are people in our industries challenged with at the moment? So Matt, you talked about like, you know, there's less transactions. Yeah. But do you guys have any ideas on what we could put in place to help alleviate that pain for people? For professionals, I think Ryan talks about this all the time too. It's lead generation, right? Like if you're slow, if you're struggling, yeah. how do you get people? How do you get clients? How do you build that sales funnel? Kind of comes off with maybe a bad stigma, you know, sales funnel. But yeah. I personally believe, and it's kind of like, you know, we spoke about this a few episodes ago. I spend time and energy on things that I'm passionate about. So real estate's obviously one of them. Educating clients is one of them. I don't cast a wide web. I really focus on the clients that I have. I try and provide the best service for those clients, get referrals from them. But yeah, I would probably say the most common one I'm hearing right now is lead generation, how to connect with people and how to get them in your sales funnel. Well, also like client retention, because like, I feel like now, like is when the cracks start to show, right? Like if you don't really know what you're doing and then now all of a sudden things are tight, the deals are harder, like as an agent, the deals are not a deal until they're a deal right now. You know, like yeah. they just flow together like they did for a few years there now. So I feel like your clients have to trust you, obviously going to become referral sources for you in the future. Yeah. Lead generation is always important in our industry, but also like becoming the experts and also showing current clients that you're there to help them every market right? yeah. can add value. It's interesting yeah. how things change, right? Like two years ago, biggest problem was I can't get to it all. And now it's completely different. No one would have said lead gen and client retention or being able to actually help our customers through the journey two years ago. I know. Like before COVID, there was that stat, like we're something crazy, like 90% of realtors, like 50% don't make it past one year and then 80% don't make it five years or 90% or something. Like during COVID, that was just not a thing. Almost everybody made it through. Now mm -hmm. it's coming back with a vengeance at this time, right? So I feel like that stat is way more prescient now than it was for a few years. Yeah, and even just like as an agent, like how many no subject offers do we deal with as a seller and as a buyer for like for two or three years there? And now it's just not like that. It's like pulling teeth on every single subject that comes off on the offers. And like, it's just 
you got to work for them. You know, like you have to know what you're talking about. You have to explain what the subject is or why it's fulfilled. You let them trust you. So and, uh, people that have the deep knowledge, you know, the ability to guide. Yeah, they're slightly to be successful and make it through. I honestly think so. Like a strategy hub is what's coming to mind, right? Like, yeah, honestly, you, you yeah. need to be very educated and well-versed on all of these strategies because it's so difficult right now as a client to, yeah, buy your primary residence and get approved for it, but buy a rental property or have tax efficiencies or be self-employed yeah. and be qualified. So if you're not educated on those products, really like best for the client, you should just refer them elsewhere. But now's the time to get educated, right? If now's the you- time to get educated. Yeah. I'm a big believer, like the mortgage broker. I don't know so much on the real estate side, Matt. So I'd be speaking out of school if I commented on your space, but on the mortgage side, like I think if you fast forward at like five or 10 years, the people that are around, you know, that are successful, the mortgage brokers that are going to be successful, they're the ones who kind of up their game and they became more of a shepherd, a guide, a, you know, I don't want to say financial planner, but a mortgage planner is probably the best way to describe it as more holistic. Because if you go back 20 years, the evolution of our industry was we used to have better rates in the banks. We just did. We were a lower cost sales channel when the mortgage industry was first coming on the scene. So we could you know, attract clients by saying, hey, we got better rates than your bank. And that's not possible today. We actually don't have the mortgage brokers in general. I mean, we're close. It's not, it's just that gap isn't there anymore. So there's really no difference. And so when there's no difference between the channels, then you have to find some other way to differentiate yourself. And so some of the stuff that we're focused on is like that deeper level of planning and guidance. It felt like you were talking earlier about like kind of thriving under pressure a bit, right? Or you can change it up, kind of change your game plan as you're going and, yeah. them and like not only for yourself, but also for all your clients and all their. Yeah. I love that part of it, but it is also stressful because you can educate, you can lay the plan out and say, okay, we're going to go with this lender. We're going to pick this product for this reason. It's going to help you from a tax efficiency here in mm-hmm. two years, you know, your line of credit's going to grow, you know, you're going to add value this way. Then you're going to buy this next rental property. Like you'll lay out the whole strategy for the next five or 10 years for this client. But it's so difficult to get in their mindset because I'm just advising, right? I'm putting it out there and saying, hey, this is kind of what I would do for your situation if that's your goal. But that's the stressful part for me if you want to talk about more problems is like I'm not making the decision for them, but you're kind of putting it out and they're choosing it instead of, yeah, just walking into a bank and being sold a product that doesn't fit their growth goals. So many people end up in products that they do not understand the fine print. You know, they're like, I've got my 20 year relationship with the bank and we're not even getting into advanced mortgage planning here. Like some of the tax stuff that you can do or cash flow stuff, just that trust factor. And you guys know as well as I do, like a lot of the fine print, it needs to be properly explained so that, you know, the things like portability and, you know, if you're going to move or change or make any changes to your mortgage setup and people's lives change. Like, you know, right now, a lot of people are taking one, two and three year term because they're just trying to hedge their bets in terms of like, okay, rates are high. Let's see what happens in two years. I don't want to lock in at that peak for five years, but traditionally most people take five year terms, but Taylor, you might know this stat more than I do. There's some massive number. I think it's like, I don't know. I'm going to say a number. You tell me if I'm wrong, but it's like 50, 60% of mortgages don't make it past year three. That's in a normal market or normal conditions. And so you've got 100% of people are walking into their branch and they're taking the five-year product off the shelf, whereas most of those people, six out of 10, aren't going to make it to maturity. And so they're paying unnecessary penalties and premiums and things like that along the way. You think they're getting the best choice, but nobody explained to them that if life happens, which it does, and that's why people break their mortgages more often than not, you know, these are the things that you're going to want to take into consideration. And so it's guys like you, Taylor, you get it. 
you're holding their hand, but you can only bring a horse to water, right? You can't make a drink. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's what our industry needs is educators, right? From real estate agents to inspectors and appraisals, mortgage brokers. Like that's the main role, right? Mm -hmm. If you need a competitor like the bank, then that's how you're going to do it. Cool. I got something cool for you. Not for you, Matt. Sorry. (laughs) I'm not solving your problem today. But check this out. I was looking at some data. So when rates were low, like in the one and a half, two percent range, there's a good portion of people that locked into a five-year term. That's all coming up for renewal and maturity, like end of 24, 25, right? This is a little bit of hope for the mortgage world. Then you have like in the last two years, that strategy of a lot of people were saying, hey, let's just take a two, three-year term because, you know, we'll be able to renew you and hopefully rates are coming down a little bit at that point. I don't know the exact number yet because I haven't gone too deep, but I've taken a cursory look at it. But I think we are going to have the largest wave of renewals coming up at the same time in the Canadian mortgage industry than we have ever had in history. And that is 18 months from now, two years from now. It's going to be a window. It's going to start and then it'll last for a year or two. But So we talk about strategies. A lot of stuff we do in strategy, we talk about consumer-facing strategies. How do we help our clients save tax or be more efficient or offset negative cash flow and all that kind of stuff? Super cool. That's how I help brokers help their clients. But then the other part of strategy hub is like, what are the trends? What are we going to see? What do we need to prepare ourselves for? What are the systems? How do we keep in touch with our clients around upcoming renewals and things like that so that we can make the most of that market when it hits? And then on your side, Matt, if we're lucky, if rates start falling in like a point in the next 12 months, you're going to blow up. Like, yeah, there is so much latent energy out there. People with cash sitting on the sidelines Rates fall one point and you're going to see transactions right back to where they used to be. So I think you're going to get a convergence of these two things in about 12, 18 months. Our industries are going to be busier than they have ever been before. And I think that we're just in a bit of a funny moment right now. I don't know what you guys think about that, but that's what I'm focused on. I think that's exactly, exactly right. Like maybe not for the exact reasons that you thought that you were saying there, but I think it's inevitable. Like the tap has not been turned off of people coming here and our population growing. Our housing stock is not getting bigger. It is slowly, but not keeping up with demand. And there's so many people on the sidelines right now. We are going to boom. It's a certainty. It's just the only question is when. uh, Well, I mean, you you saw it in the spring when the bond market took a pretty substantial dip. Like it was, for me at least, it was a frenzy in the spring. It was super busy. You know, fixed rates started to come down a little bit. Obviously, variable was still higher, but it was a busy market. So I guess crystal ball question then, is now the time to buy? Are we at the bottom-ish? I'm looking at places. I'm going to know if we're at the bottom or not, but I think that in 15 years, you'll look back on the chart and this period of time, 23 to 25, somewhere in there, like, you know, 2024, basically, I think will be probably the best time to buy in the next 10 years. I agree. I think that's yeah. it. I think we're in it for a while. I don't think it's going to change overnight. I don't think you have to rush out and buy something. You yeah. Know. yeah. I think this is the window though. For sure. I agree. Right now, at least I tell people if we can qualify you to buy, why? Because if you're waiting for the bottom and the government comes in with some crazy rule, like rental properties now need 30% down or whatever the stress test is going to be like, great, now you can't afford to buy anymore. So if you're approved and you find something you like, don't try and wait for it to drop another 5% because you might just miss it altogether. If you're looking for a long-term horizon, you know? Yeah. And if you have to sell to buy, like, you know, not everybody's able to hold on to everything and that's tough. It's hard to even afford one property, let alone two. But if you are fortunate enough to be in a position where you can kind of like stay put on your current assets, buy something else, ride it up and then flip those out 
I think that's a play and try to get the best of both worlds if you have the wherewithal to do it. So I think that's exactly right. Like I wouldn't be worried about the home values. Like it's not going to plummet much farther than this, maybe a bit, but it's the holding the properties that come to question, right? It's the 6,000 bucks for every million you got to borrow once a month. It's like, exactly. oh. that's, that's the issue. It's there's not, not a lot of nice properties under a million dollars anymore. So you got to be happy. That's the question people need to be asking. I think cash buyers right now should be out there just going crazy. You know, like it's hard. I have quite a few cash buyers. So I'm talking to them like, this is the time. Man. Throw it in there, make an offer. Like you can probably get a good discount. It's going to go up for sure. Like it might go down a little bit further. You might have not buying at the perfect bottom, but like you might be this hard, you know, it's really is a carrying cost that is scary part. Carrying costs are scary, but there is cash out there and there are buyers out there. And I know this because part of a group, I've got a little bit of a club and you guys know this I think I let you know about this, but I'm at a phase of life where I want to do fun things. And my kids are almost like old enough to leave the house and it's time to kind of expand our horizons a bit and have some lifestyle, but it's bloody expensive. Like if you want to have a nice vacation property, that's a lot of money. And if you want to be able to spend a little bit of time here and maybe a little bit of time there, affording one maybe is possible for some people. Affording two becomes really, really hard. And so it's like, because of the prices of things, you have to kind of commit yourself to like one plan for a lot of people you know, the ultra wealthy excluded, they can have whatever they want. But so if you're not ultra wealthy, and you want to have those experiences, and you're lucky enough to have just a little bit of extra cash. Yeah. The strategy that I think is going to be like co ownership of like, secondary homes, vacation properties, things that create like a luxury experience. That's an area I'm focused on. So I'm bringing together different people who want to go in on properties together in a co ownership model. So if you have, let's say, I don't know, just throw a number out there, instead of trying to buy like one, $2 million vacation property on your own, buy it with eight other people and use it, you know, six weeks out of the year. And then you only have to pull two or $300,000 out to make that happen. And you're probably using any kind of vacation property or luxury property more than six weeks out of the year is going to be plenty anyway. And so you get the benefit and use. So I think you're going to see a lot of like new ownership models pop up. That's something I'm doing with, you know, some close partners of mine. And I think you're going to see more of that kind of thing, especially in the luxury market. I think that's honestly awesome and great foresight. You know, like you're talking about doing that for vacation places or like maybe like if people in Kelowna could buy a place on the island or at Whistler or something like that. I think that's fantastic. I think going forward, more people are going to be doing this just to buy their home. You know, like two families buying a home, but maybe with a suite or something like yep. that. Honestly, I think it's kind of a necessity coming up here with the prices, especially maybe in Vancouver more than Kelowna. In the big cities, for sure. A lot of reset expectations around what home ownership looks like and how many people yeah. are in the living room. Well, I mean, just for the first few years, right? Just to get into the market, ride the yeah. appreciation up, and then you can get your own place. Right? So I think that's going to be a huge thing. Like, what's the alternative? If somebody does a mortgage application for me and I say, oh, sorry, we cannot approve you and your wife for this rental property, do you have a co-signer? Do you have someone that you'd want to joint venture with on it? If they say, yeah, we do, but you know, we're not really interested in partnering. Well, then they just sit on that cash for another five years while the market goes up and regulations change and they can't get in. Yeah, I think that's a huge, huge market that needs to be explored. Like I have thought about it for recreational, like kind of a personal level about me doing that. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. That would be uh, Oh, let me know, guys. Invite only. Can I be part of the club? I'm just kidding. I just kidding. It is a cool model, though. I'm definitely exploring it. I'm actually looking for investors at a big white property. So, uh, well, interesting. You know, I have a place over here on the island. So, yeah, we can just talk. See? (laughs) Okay, what we did. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, that makes what I want to buy 
all of a sudden you're like seeing possibility and you're just going to see all kinds of different things pop up because we still want to live. We still want to enjoy. And just the fact that it's unaffordable for a lot of people doesn't mean that it's unattainable. It's just, we have to shift our perspective on how we get there. Good yeah. I think we address pretty much all the final questions. The main one, I guess we need to get from you before we let you go is how can our listeners connect with you? How can we add value to you? Obviously you're on social media platforms. Like how do you want people to reach out if they're interested in your products? Yeah, for sure. Thank you for that. Just at Jason Hanaberry on Instagram. That's where I'm hanging out the most these days. You know, you can follow and start a conversation through Messenger. So that's probably the easiest, but I'm at Jason Hanaberry everywhere. So if you wanted to look at my website, it's jasonhanaberry.com, at Jason Hanaberry on Instagram, Facebook. Yeah, not a lot of Jason Hanaberry's out there, so I shouldn't be too hard to find. Yeah. What heritage is your last name? Where does that come from? It's Irish. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. Love having you in the industry, man. Yeah, some people just do a lot of good in the industry, and you're one of those guys, so appreciate you. Cool, man. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me on the show, guys. It's been a pleasure. Love what you guys are doing. Keep it up. Thanks for listening to the Kelowna Real Estate Podcast. Be sure to reach out and let us know how else we can add value to your Kelowna real estate journey. Please show some support by hitting the like, share, and subscribe button. This is sponsored by Matt Glenn Real Estate and Taylor Adventure Mortgages.